Finally, some good walk-in music. Finally. I just walked into this. Yes, finally, some good walk-in music. Mike uh, Overstreet, who's pastor here, and Sam Nunnally, who is our guest teaching pastor. We are going to do a panel style on hell. And uh, for some of you, hearing three white men talk about anything is hell. So welcome as we... Three old white men. Okay, yeah, three old white men. There you go. Not old. <laughs> Some of you don't know what to do with that joke. You're going to be thinking about that for a minute. We are, we are excited, though, to, to wrap up this series. Uh, why is a series, if you're new, that y'all put in questions anonymously, and this was one of the first ones we received and kind of held it towards the last because it is a complex and a very emotionally laden topic. So joking aside, joking aside, this is one of those topics where many preachers in maybe past churches you've been a part of would use it as the stick and the carrot is heaven. Uh, many of you have been manipulated with this idea. And I know some of us have come to even salvation with the concept of hell, which is kind of a backwards way that when you look at scripture, probably never intended that way. So using this as kind of a background, this is a message we are going to explore, but we are not meant to have it by any means cause any more further theological harm to your testimonies. And so we definitely, from a pastoral side, if you have questions after the service, you'd be in prayer after this service, meet us up here by the teaching table, and we would love to address those concerns that you may have. So with that, with that, it is necessary discussion and a great discussion. Before we get into why hell, we, we want to understand and a little bit just about the concept of what is hell. And biblically, we have a picture that heaven is both now and to come. And so I'm going to throw this over to Mike first. Uh, Mike, question, do you think hell is the same way that hell can be on earth and a future place where there's ACDC playing over and over and over? <laughs> yeah, I think heaven is the best place to start. I mean, I think we often think the counterpart of heaven is hell, hell right? Heaven and hell. Well, Bible trivia, you'll never find the words heaven and hell in the same sentence in the entire Bible. They don't appear even once. And that's because the counterpart of heaven is not hell in the Bible, it is earth. Heaven and earth appear constantly, which highlights a pretty major misunderstanding you kind of have to clear out of the way before we engage in a topic of what, why, etc. when it comes to hell. You see, we often talk about heaven in terms of location, right? It's us going somewhere else in the future, usually after we die. But biblically speaking, heaven is a lot more nuanced than that. It's more of like a dimension underneath and around and through our reality. And because of that, it's defined often more by quality than necessarily as we should think of time and space location. And what do I mean by that? Well, heaven biblically speaking, is the space where God's will alone is realized, which is actually all things in the biblical story at the beginning, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, the Garden of Eden, God's will alone is what exists in the cosmos. And as the story goes, the fall, human beings rebel. We try to take our will for creation. And from that moment forward in the biblical story, you start seeing this term earth, referring not to our planet, but actually rather to this human space that we have now created by our rebellion where multiple wills are found in competition with each other. I compete with Sam for who's gonna be the best speaker today. And I'm gonna try to get my will. And then from that, all sorts of chaos and havoc comes in our relationship and how we treat each other, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The thing breaks, right? You guys follow me on that? Yeah. That's critical because what we're talking about here is that what we see in the biblical story, heaven and earth, God's space and human space essentially gets ripped apart. They are separated in some way. 
And the biblical story is about God reuniting these two spaces, God's space and human space, fully overlapping once again like it was in Eden. I swear I'm going to stop here in a second. Because the cool part about that is that Jesus' message was that this was taking place through him. Mm. I mean, that's what the kingdom is about. It's about God saying he is reclaiming earth, human space, heaven and earth coming back under Jesus as one, which is why Jesus prays. What does he say? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. This is what he's trying to get at. And obviously for Jesus, this reunion of heaven and earth, of God's space and human space was both this future reality, right? Not necessarily us going somewhere else, but this moment in the future where God would fully bring things back into union once again. But it was also a present reality at the same time because through him, what he taught is that we are invited to re-enter the reunion of heaven and earth by living here and now under one will. Whose will? God's will alone on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus believed that wherever you found people doing that in his name, you were gonna find, bam, the reunion of heaven and earth becoming those Eden people again, more loving, more generous, more just, more compassionate, etc. Long-winded way to get to this. You have to understand that if you're gonna engage with how Jesus talks about hell. Because ultimately, if God will fully redeem this space, this world, restoring peace, goodness, love, justice, then there are realities that must go right. for him to do that. War, pride, judgmentalism, hate, violence, greed, these things cannot exist in Eden. And this is what Jesus uses this term hell to refer to. Everything that cannot stay in earth, in our hearts, in us, if he is going to restore that full union of heaven and earth once again. So again, both present and real, future reality, like heaven is, both that we have this future hope that God's gonna get rid of what's gone wrong, but also we have this constant challenge of Jesus to let him get the hell out of us, right? To get the brokenness out of us so we can be part of this movement to restore all things. That's really well said. And so those are your take-home cards. Mike has 17 points now. But Sam hasn't <laughs> even started speaking, so I'm excited. Sam, can you, can you, what are your thoughts on that? You want to elaborate anything on that, um, add on? Very little. That was disagree. Really, that was great. No, I don't disagree at all. Uh, exactly right. Uh, there's, there's life created in, in God. Uh, then there's unlife that occurred through our lack of trust in him at that point. Hell, as an idea, as a concept, entered our world. Uh, I would quote the uh, esteemed scholar uh, Belinda Carlisle, oh, heaven is a place on earth. I don't know if you've heard that. But I say that because... The, we just the, leave right now. <laughs> uh, we have a, a precondition in our mind to point up for heaven and yeah. point down for hell yep. when those spatial dimensions are not necessarily reflective of what the Bible teaches. And exactly like what Mike was saying, it's, a, it's an issue of um, that heaven is a place. It's a realization of a quality of life that we can achieve. It's also something where Jesus says that it's within you. It's uh, in you. It's a part of you. It's among you. He says all these terms. And um, so kind of the cookie-cutter, kind of bifurcated understanding of heaven and hell is much more integrated, much more organic in the Bible than, uh, than what we learned in Sunday school, put it that way. That's well said. Uh, kind of to take it to a different place now, just slightly, there's places in the Bible that talk about Gehenna and then Sheol. Sheol is a place of the dead. 
and then Gehenna is an actual literal place. And for those who are new to Florida, I just found out about Tate's Hell, which is a little while ago. And it's like an actual literal place. And I, the story keeps getting nuanced based on who tells it. But there's an actual places that we can say like, oh, that place is a place of awfulness, of horridness, has a bad historical taste to it. There, there's also places where you say there's this kind of a heaven feeling place. Many of you who worship here say this is a place where God kind of lives uh, but you, don't, you can't point and say exactly how or why, but there's a holiness to this building because of what happens here. Similarly, there has to be some sort of place, and Jesus uses that, choosing the term Gehenna, which was a trash dump, but all the way back to the Old Testament, over and over and over, was used for awful purposes. In Jeremiah, he actually curses the place, the prophet Jeremiah does. Way back there, use it for child sacrifices in Scripture. And so this one physical location Jesus uses it, and he calls it Gehenna, which, funny enough, our English Bible, which is fun to read, translates both the realm of the dead and this place Gehenna as hell. So I'm asking you again, start with Sam this time, what do you think about what is hell based on the physical place of it and also what is hell, the spiritual aspect of it where, you know, we, we think we go at some point? Yeah. That's, uh, that wasn't confusing at all, was it? No. <laughs> uh, I think it's the first thing that bears out right there is immediately uh, Jesus creates an, an image for people to see outside the Valley of Hinnom, Gehenna, uh, Gehenna where uh, everybody dumps their trash. Uh, there's a smoldering, burning fire all the time before then child sacrifice. It's a historical place of everything we don't, want for ourselves and certainly everything God doesn't want for us. And so the best way to understand that uh, for Jesus was to establish an allegorical understanding. So we could be like, okay, yeah, no one would want to be in there. Why would, why would anyone want to be there? And then, uh, and Mike's going to talk about it in a second, but there, before that, there was even less of an understanding. There's kind of a murky, shadowy understanding of Sheol, which just simply means the grave. It just means a shadowy kind of a, a place of nothingness. So there's not a lot of detail about what hell looks like other than establishing exactly what Mike said, which is establishing the beauty of heaven. And then, okay, let's say all that beauty was stripped away and here's hell. From a historical standpoint, um, this, is, this is always the interesting stuff to me, and we're not going to belabor this long because we want to keep it uh, simple and biblically based, but there are people... Um, that believe all different types of things about hell. They believe it's literal. They believe there's a lake of fire. They believe there's eternal conscious torment. Like once you go there, it's punitive. There are other people that believe that hell is fully symbolic, that kind of like that idea of being unlifed from the Garden of Eden, that that is continued, that hell is the absence of God in this world, and it continues in the next uh, in the afterlife is the absence, the isolation from God. And the irony of that, if you kind of read C.S. Lewis or other things, like a, a key that's been locked from the inside is the description of hell that he uses. Like you put yourself there, you stay there because you want to be there. And that, you know, once again, we can have hell on earth and we can have hell in the afterlife. Both come from our unwillingness to be established with God. And then there are other people who believe that the should not perish but have eternal life. In John 3:16, perish literally means die. That in the end hell is part of um uh, something called annihilationism where people are are perish that God destroys everything including 
um, anybody that's not part of the larger uh, realm of heaven in the afterlife. So a lot of people believe a lot of things. The key about that is uh, a lot of people believe a lot of things because it's not exactly clear, clear <laughs> yes. what, what there is to believe. And so in the end, uh, what you have to choose to believe is the reality of heaven, which is the central message of what the gospel talks about, and that hell is a part of understanding the flip side of that. Right. Not so much as a place to go because uh, the, the big stick idea, or to uh, even live a life based on fear, because that's where you go if you don't accept Jesus, but just simply because that's the place where everything that's not good exists. And we have the choice to keep ourselves in one side of that coin or the other in a way. And um, the establishing of heaven is much more important than what's in hell, other than the fact that it just should make heaven and the beauty of heaven and the quality of life with God that much more appealing. Ooh, that's well said. So if, and I love the quote from C.S. Lewis, he says, if, if you force someone to spend eternity with God and they have their entirety of their self is to hate God, to be to rebelling from God, then heaven becomes to them, yeah, you, a loving God would not force someone to spend eternity with God. That said, follow up, Sam, do you believe that there is a physical person Satan torturing people by making them eat donuts continuously for the rest of their life. <laughs> yeah, my favorite picture of hell is that Bugs Bunny uh, episode where um, he, uh, the, everybody goes down into hell and, and Satan's there with a pitchfork and everything. It's a really good episode of Bugs Bunny if you want to go watch it. Anyway, it sounds terrifying. It is. It was terrifying. It was first time I thought. I was like, oh, my God. Um, I don't think that that's the way hell is. When it comes down to it, I think that's a caricature. Uh, there's actually a, a kind of an overlay of medieval um, uh, medieval theology that was in that, where people would actually you occasionally can see these at like a um, like a fair or right. a circus where you walk through kind of like this devil's head that came from originally kind of a masquerade that the medieval church did long ago, where they would have people walk through the mouth of hell or the mouth of Satan to go into church to remind them that they needed to be there or else. They'd be literally walking through. Once again, fear-based uh, idea of, of why people should stay in line as opposed to allowing the goodness of God and the reality and promise of heaven draw them to something greater. That's really good. That's really well said. So personally, kind of where do you land then in the whole scheme of options on the table of the buffet? And Mike, I will get to you, I promise. I don't talk enough. He's, uh, he's anxious over there. How many points do I have now? Uh, we'll, we'll let you know by the end. Okay. Yeah. All right, good. Just keep in score. Okay. Um, I don't know. You're a daily I, double right now, by the way. Oh, am I? Yes. Yeah. I'm okay. giving you a second to, to the, daily manipulate double. and and, and con, where do, where do you stand on this? I um, I don't know. I yeah. I, I generally because I, I think that's comforting, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's good to know. I guess. Yeah. I, I based on the character of God, I have problems with a punitive element of eternal conscience torment lasting forever. Um, I see the mercy in God destroying everyone, which sounds strange. Um, and that perish means perish. That makes sense biblically. Um, I also see the reality of, of the symbolism associated with what hell is. I mean, if it was a symbol, for, if Jesus used it as a symbol when he was talking, why do I have to nail all that down? I don't, I don't know. I'm, not, I'm certainly not God. Last time I checked. Um, so I would lean towards more of a symbolic understanding or um, maybe there's, there's a big surge of kind of an annihilationist, annihilationist view among uh, brethren, Armenian groups, groups like that, who are looking to get away from uh, eternal torment, but also need there to be some type of finality 
Mm. And um, so all that to say, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't know. I think That's the, Mike. I think you da- nailed the daily double there. Mike, what's your, what's your thoughts on that? And I'll, Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many thoughts floating around. Um, I do think that a lot of the imagery we use for what goes on in this place, Gehenna, is a fundamental misreading of, of Jewish apocalypticism. Okay. And I'm not going to bore you guys with that, but it's a genre that doesn't exist anymore, like Daniel and stuff, where it's these highly charged symbolic things. And that's how you have Jesus describing the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth right. as both darkest night and fire. Because he's not saying, and I mean, I've heard people be like, well, that's because it reaches the blue flame. And that's, and that's right. not what Jesus is getting at. He's a, a Jewish <laughs> rabbi using Jewish tradition, right. which is this really symbolically charged literature from the Old Testament to talk about isolation and then fire corrosive, the corroding of humanity, right? So when he's talking about it with that, these symbolic metaphorical terms, he's talking about it's the place where you're fully isolated from God because you don't want to be around God, like he said. And it's the place where, as you chose to become less and less human in your own life through how you degraded other people, through how you um, just rejected all goodness, then it's also the place where you get to continue to do that and you get to continue to choose that. And I think I agree with Sam. That is not the point of the gospel, though, is mm. escaping there. The point of the gospel is we are invited to become human beings, true human beings who flourish and promote goodness and take part in the renewal of all things and I can learn how to be human again mm. in all these disastrous ways in which I have used my will to choose to be as inhuman as possible. And that's good news, is that I Amen. have an invitation to something positive. And of course, Jesus is gonna use this rhetoric of Gehenna and this idea of Gehenna to urge not to go the other way because y'all, just check out the news. Look at what happens to our world when we continually choose to do the opposite of all that is just and good and merciful and beautiful, right? And I think... That's kind of where I get into this interpretation. Um, you know, I, for me, I think you kind of, it's hard because as you pointed out with Sheol, which is a Hebrew word for like the underworld, the Old Testament doesn't really have a vision of hell in this medieval kind of modern way. Sheol is not in any way tied to morality. If you read your Old Testament, the grave is really all it is. And guess what? Everyone goes there. I mean, Job is just like, hey, the righteous and the unrighteous all going to Sheol one yep. day. That's like the old, and then the Old Testament kind of leaves it at that. And it's really interesting though, because what the Old Testament does introduce to the concept of Sheol and how it does engage morality through Sheol is it talks about it kind of as this rhetorical tool to talk about how we live in this world. And it's this very famous rabbinical thing. You see it in Deuteronomy, you see it in the prophets, but it's this idea of the two ways of being alive. And what essentially the Old Testament says is that There is a way of being alive that is truly life, living vitally connected to our creator and the giver of life, the author of life, experiencing more and more peace and creating peace and wholeness and all the good stuff that comes from being connected to God. Right. And then there is a way that we could kind of live as the walking dead. And it's the way of the cursed. And it's kind of the way of life that's actually death. And this is kind of living disconnected from God and goodness and experiencing and creating brokenness and despair and destruction. And that's how Sheol gets tied in. It's I am living the way of Sheol, right? Rather than the way of God. And when combined with hell as this kind of image for what must be removed for God to renew his world, I think you start getting really, really close to one of the key interpretations that Jesus uses when he uses Gehenna. And that is, he is using it in that same way to talk about these choices we make, the two paths, the two ways of being alive, right? 
And again, it's a place that his listeners know. It's the town garbage dump. It's the place of child sacrifice. It is literally the symbolically charged vessel of all that has gone wrong in God's good world. And what Jesus does is he uses that symbol in the same way as these Old Testament authors do when they use Sheol to teach that there is a way opposite to the reunion of heaven and earth that he's bringing. There is a way of life that fosters the kingdom, and there is a way of life that fosters the opposite of the kingdom. Rather than making things renewed, we actually just, through our life and our choices, invest more and more of what's gone wrong into God's good world. And I think that's why you see Jesus connect Gehenna. I mean, you could go read all 12 verses where it appears. He's constantly connecting it to the present actions, attitudes, and heart postures of people. He talks about it with anger, hate, contempt, violence, all these different things. He's constantly using Gehenna, right? When you foster hate in your heart, you are in danger of the fires of Gehenna. James, when he's chapter three, says, you can light the world with Gehenna through the use of your tongue, right? And what he's doing is he's using this very strong, the strongest possible imagery and language to be like, you need to reflect deeply on whether how you are living right now is building the kingdom of God and the renewal of all things or its opposite in this world. And obviously we have the freedom to reject that invitation. Thus he uses Gehenna to convict us, right? I mean, I think he uses it all the time to ask his audience, are you building heaven on earth through the kingdom of God? Are you building more and more hell in yourself and the lives of the people around you? And y'all, I think he takes how he answered that question incredibly serious. Absolutely. That's really well said. Uh, to connect it to those who've been here for other series, uh, parts of this series, we both talked about the weeds and the wheat. And yeah. It's just the idea of the farmer who's scattering the wheat, and the wheat is good, the wheat can feed, can can grow, and the weeds who look very similar to wheat in some aspects are only shown at harvest to have no fruit. And so the kind of the concept, are you sowing heaven or are you sowing hell? Um, boy, I never thought I'd say that in the sermon. <laughs> is, is, is kind of the, the idea that we're trying, you're, you're bringing out, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's why it's so fascinating. Before I was in seminary and it was the first time I ever realized, well, my seminary professor was like, so I had only ever heard the term hell used when it comes to non-believers as someone who was right. not in the church, right? Go read your Bible all 12 times that Jesus uses, or 11 times that Jesus uses hell. Every single time it's to a religious person, an incredibly religious person. It is to the leaders of Israel. It is to hypocrites of the Jewish people. And he's constantly like, yo. Creating their own personal hell. You are creating and it's overflowing onto others. And God says that has to go if God's people are going to be a part of the movement that he's called them to. Preach. I'm so glad you brought that up. Bonus points. Ha! Bonus points. Oh, wait, wait, For those online, make sure you mark that down online. Uh, make sure we got that. I still don't know my score. Uh, well, I, I'll get it to you in the end. I'm, I'm riding up here furiously, Sam. What's the line? It's the rules are made up and the points don't matter? Yes, yes. <laughs> and now we have props. Okay, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, if you don't know the show, then just keep going. So, to wrap all this up before I get too distracted by how does what is that show called? Whose line, line is it anyway? anyway? I was going to say it's a musical number. Um, before I get distracted, even more than I am distracted now, the, kind of the, the concept, and I don't know who asked the question, we don't know what their heart was in asking it, but why hell? Why hell? And we, we have answered it to some aspect, but kind of wrap up what's been dialogued thus far. And Michael, I'll start with you. Why hell? Well, so it's funny, because I, I get this all the time. And I, we were joking before this, that you can't make anyone happy with this topic. There are some people who have a very rigid understanding of what hell means, and I'm gonna make them mad. And then there are people who are just wishy three never talked about 
this word that appears in the Bible that is Gehenna and hell. And I'm going to make them mad just by talking about it. Amen. So I just lose. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate submitting this question. But I think I, I, when I first came back to faith, I didn't want to touch this word at all. I was just like, I have no desire to hear about it. I don't want to talk about it. I heard about it so much as a kid, and it messed me up. I'm just going to be honest. It was used as a stick for a 12-year-old who lived in constant terror of his God. Um, and yet, I found myself coming back to it. I actually think I've reclaimed it. I think it's actually a crucial word for my lexicon right now. And that is simply because love, grace, and humanity can be rejected. Um, we have a terrifying amount of free will. And we, God gives us the freedom to use it as we please. We are allowed to participate in what breaks others, ourselves, and our world. I mean, how many of us were like, I know I shouldn't respond to this person in this way because it will harm them for no good reason, and then we do it anyway. <laughs> yep. Like, we as a people have an immense capacity to use our wills to make disaster for our world and others. And you can see it even in the world today. Yeah. It's, I don't think anybody says the world is, is peaceful and full of saints. It is full of people sowing hell yeah. right now. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, and, and I think in that, Jesus knows, and I think he was right, and because um, he's Jesus, that some <laughs> words must be strong for a reason. Uh, they Amen. must be as intense and as loaded and as complex as the realities they describe. The very real consequences of rejecting all goodness, all compassion, all decency, all humanity. And if you don't believe me, just go stare into the eyes of an addict and watch how his or her spouse or their children deal with that empty stare that only if you've seen it, you know. Mm -hmm. Go talk to someone who's been a child who has been sex trafficked for years. Mm -hmm. Like, go to Rwanda and see the missing limbs of children who other human beings cut off their arms and legs to shame their parents for the rest of their parents' known life. Mm -hmm. Go into our world, go into our history, and see the generations of human beings who have lived and died in bondage, literally generations never knowing a taste of anything but servitude. I mean, just look at the Belgic Congo, the Holocaust, mass extermination of indigenous peoples. Y'all, I have seen what it looks like when people abandon all that is good, right, kind, and humane. And some agonies need agonizing language. We need a word that refers to the big, wide, terrible evils that we do that come from the seek and broken, hidden places in our hearts, from the massive society-wide injustices we create to the individual chaos that we create in our individual personal lives, all that comes when we fail to live in God's world, in God's way, and for that, I think hell is a perfectly fine word for describing such things. Well said. So why hell? Look at it. Look at the world. Really well said. Really well said. Sam? Um, that's all hard to follow up. That's exactly right. It was just the, 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 need, the reason that hell exists is because uh, we created it, uh, whether now in a present sense, whether it's qualitative or whether it's quantitative as a, as a post-life reality. That's something we all own, we all share uh, individually and collectively is a reality and a responsibility for that. Um, I think I would say this, um, the two things come to mind when talking about hell, where it fits in the larger spiritual landscape of where we live. You can scare yourself into the reality of being saved. People do that all the time. Preachers 
do that all the time. There was a motivation at one time for me telling my friends about Jesus because I didn't want them to go to hell, not because they actually needed to know to know Jesus. And so a lot of Christianity, if it's laid at that fear-based line, our job is to figure out how to step across to the other side of that line. What is the absence of war? What is the absence of abuse? What is the absence of dysfunction? Mm-hmm. But that's not far enough. That's not what God's asking us to do. He's asking us, rather than step across the line and still look, he's asking us to turn our back on hell and the origins of whatever those things may be and walk towards him. And it's, in, it's not so much the absence of hell as the reality of inviting heaven into who we are and into our life that brings the quality of life that we don't have to worry about hell. And that's what we should want for each other. Amen. That's what we should want for our church. We should want uh, for us overall. And we talked, I don't, it hasn't made it in yet, so I'll, I don't think either one of y'all is going to say it, so I'll say it. But the, the hell thing, heaven comes up a lot. Um, hell doesn't come up as much. There's a reason for that. Because hell's not as important as heaven, right? Satan, evil, it's not as important as God. It's not as important as the goodness and the justice and the love of God. And our reality should be to focus on those things, leaving those other results of not following God in the dust behind us. That's what creates that quality of life so that we don't live out hell in a true way. And um, I'll leave you with this allegory. Say I have a surprise trip for my family and... I said, hey, guys, we're going to so-and-so, you know, wherever they want to go. So we're really, really cool. Yeah. All you have to do, you're packed. All you got to do is just get in the car. Just get in the car. They'd be like, yeah. And then I'd have to wake a couple of them up, and they'd be upset about that. I'd be like, ah, just going to get in the car. It's going to be great. Everybody gets in the car, and then I get in the car. And then I'm saying, all right, y'all ready to go? And they're like, yeah. And then I turn around and say, now, I just brought this taser just in case you don't want to go so I can stick it to you. Because you may not really enjoy it. That's hell versus heaven. Heaven is enough. God is enough. The love and character and goodness of God is enough without pushing people towards a fear-based conditioned response in that case. If If we're all going on vacation to the greatest place of our dreams, that's enough. As long as we seek and move towards that goal. And the more we invite people towards that reality, the absence of the horrible things in the world will dissipate and atrophy because the more follow, the more we represent Christ, the better world around us becomes. Yeah, ditto. (laughs) No, I love that. And just to put some numbers on it, and I have nothing else to add to that. I think that's great. Um, Gehenna appears 12 times in the entire New Testament. For reference in the Bible, obviously it appears nowhere in the Old Testament. We already touched on that. Justice appears 143 times as a word, and then various translations of loved are used over 300 to somewhere around 500 times. Wow. So when we're thinking about the centrality of our, and I'm not even get to heaven, heaven even more than that. And so when we're thinking about what the centrality of our religion and our faith is, 12 times, over 300 times, it's not that it's not important to talk about this. We need to talk about this. It's right. in the Bible, but let's keep the thing the thing and the focus the focus. Love that, love that. Can we just show a thanks for their time and work on this? Thank you. To wrap up, just real quick, the sermon, and I think that what you heard is really key, is that we are sowers of heaven or we are sowers of hell. And in different moments of our lives, we can be both. 
which is terrifying and also a little bit humbling and also inspiring in some ways. And so as we wrap up this series, we're joking about saying, hey, who, who is in hell? And we we're not going to get to that point because we had lists of people who have wronged us. But the more important, it was a joke. It was a joke. The more important question is, is am I sowing heaven in whatever way God's calling me to do that? And there can be some very interesting and creative ways. And this series has kind of caused us pause to reflect on that. It's been a theological enterprise where we're wrestling with questions that none of us know the answers to. That we are, we are using scripture, but we're saying, boy, it's, this is a theological leap, and I'm going to try and do my best. As the worship team comes out to get set for this closing song, I, I picked this song because it wraps up the series really beautifully. It puts a bow on top, so to speak, a cherry on top. And I asked them to sing this as a responsive song, but also a song, if, you, if you're called and love this, this song, it's a contemporary song, not a Christian song, but it really illustrates perfectly what we've been doing is asking the question, why? We, we've been asking the question, why? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people do horrible things in the name of religion? Why do I have to deal with the concept of hell? Am I destined to be single? Are aliens on other planets in need of Jesus' salvation? These kind of questions have been ones that have guided us and the ones we need to wrestle with and take time to wrestle with. The Apostle Paul writes that we should work out our salvation with fear and with trembling, not because we don't have a powerful God. We have Jesus Christ on our side. We have everything we need in him. But to work it out in understanding how to apply it in my day-to-day life. And so if you're so moved to sing along, please sing along. If you're so moved just to sit and reflect, where is God calling me to be a sower of heaven, to bring justice where there's injustice, to bring hope for the hopeless? I pray that you would just use this time just for that. And then after the song is over, we'll call up Pastor Mike and he will commission our Guatemalan missionaries. Before we transition to the song, I just want to just offer up a prayer for all of us in this room as we turn our attention back to worship and reflect on how God's moving in our individual hearts. We pray with me. Father, I thank you for the opportunities we have to come and to wrestle with you, to even bring up the ugliness of our questions in our faith. Because strong faith needs strong questions. Because our lives are filled with places where it doesn't seem a clear-cut yes or no. And God, I pray that you would just be alongside of us, support us, inspire us, and even breathe your Holy Spirit, as Julie May brought up at the start of the service, your Holy Spirit would breathe words of answer, of encouragement, and to point all our lives towards sowing heaven. God, we pray your blessing over us as we hear this song, as we wrap up this series. Why? Thank you for being a God who walks with us on our questions. We say together, amen.